Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. And I'm here as always with my friend and colleague and co-host, Mr. Ross Ferguson, academic advisor, resident of the Pastoral Training Center, Masters of something student. What are, what are, I so I'm an MTS preaching and pastoral an ministry. MTS preaching and pastoral and ministry. And an MDiv. And an MDiv. Yeah, a dual degree. Double masters. Yeah. Wow. Technically triple because I've done an economics masters as well, well. How are you even in here doing this podcast with me? You should be out studying, it seems like. Yeah. Well, you're soon to be hopefully, uh, <laughs> I'm just bypassing that. Ugh. You're soon to be hopefully Dr. Wilson. Well, yeah. I'm in the dissertation phase. Are you going to um, make us call you Dr. Wilson? Like, no, I won't do that. So it'll be like, hey, but you welcome know, to the but it will Church be, with Dr. It will Wilson. be nice to not correct people. <laughs> so I am where people call me Dr. Yes. Wilson and have to go, actually, I'm sorry, you're paying for this degree yeah. and I'm teaching you, but I'm not actually a doctor. I mean, I actually get that in <laughs> academic advising because some colleges, their advisors are the professors. So oh, they have academic, yeah. they're literally academic advisors. You. So I'll get emails saying, Professor Ferguson, I'm yeah. like, well, I, I've jumped quite a few runs there, um, but what's worse is people calling me by a completely different name. So oh. I, I keep getting Russell at the minute. Russell? Russell, yep. That's I weird. think they don't know what I'm saying. There's someone on campus that calls me Russell, but that's just because he likes to annoy me. But there is, like, people actually do, like, struggle with saying my name. Anyway, the yeah. soon-to-be, hopefully, being Dr. Wilson Yeah, hopefully. I haven't started writing the dissertation, but— I don't think writing's going to be an issue for you. no. It is a, um, it's the research yeah. portion to kind of getting things together. But yeah, that's on, that's on the horizon. Although a dear friend of, of ours and um, by this time, perhaps mm. our uh, former, what is he? Dean of students? Dean of student success. Student success. VP or something. Title IX coordinator, oh, et cetera. He, he's Dr. Got John of, Mark Yates. Yeah, he's got lots of titles. And professor of church history. Mm. Uh, fantastic guy. Um, he was my first reader. And he's leaving to be the president of Corbin University in Portland, Oregon. And I just got the email that he won't be able to be the first reader oh, on my no. thing anymore. And I was like, well, it, it hasn't been very labor intensive so far because I haven't <laughs> written anything. <laughs> but I got to find a new first reader because mm. he's he's leaving the committee. But, oh, well. Do you have your sights on someone? I would love. So they say that the email I got said that I, it will be reassigned. Oh, okay. So I, they'll do it for me. But I wonder if I can put a word in. I would love my friend, Dr. Jeff Dodge, mm -hmm. who uh, is a pastor in Iowa. And some of his research has actually been helpful to me in my research. So we, I think he'd be a similar, he'd yeah. be the right voice or the right eye, I guess. Well, now you've said it, you know, yeah. I, on the public forum. Hopefully it'll put a word in. Send the emails in. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> don't do Jeff that. Dodge. Please don't do that. <laughs> hey, speaking of writing. Yes. This is a good transition. Yeah. Today's topic is books every Christian should own. Yeah. You got a, your own personal Christian library. Ross and I are going to share some thoughts on what should be in that personal Christian library. Um, I went about this a different way than I think maybe originally I was thinking. I was thinking maybe even you were thinking. So let me just ask before we jump into our lists here. Mm -hmm. Did you list specific titles? I did not. Oh, okay. I, I went for then I went for examples. Okay. So there is some titles. But you but went by categories. Not, I kind of went That's that what way. I did too. Yeah. Okay, so we were thinking the same and, thing. And a, a keynote Christian library, not okay. pastor's library, not yes. trainee library. Yeah, I'm even thinking of like the family library. I'm, I'm just thinking. The family you, bookshelf. Yeah, you're a Christian. 
what's on your bookshelf. Yeah. That's that's kind of the way I went for it. Okay. Well, let's start with your number one. Okay. What's the first thing? So I, I put um, uh, genres, have varied genres. Okay. So one of the things that, that I pulled out was to have fiction. Okay. Uh, Christian fiction and non-Christian fiction. Okay. So just some examples and, and reasons. So, for instance, the Chronicles of Narnia, from a Christian perspective, okay, we've really enjoyed that as a family. We have the full book series. We've also got it on audiobook. Our kids are engaging with it. A really great way to engage with God and the different aspects of the Trinity and how that would work out in a story hmm. and God's oversight over things going wrong and right in people's lives. Just really engaging uh, from a Christian fiction uh, perspective. Uh, from non-Christian, I think uh, we should make sure that we're not just going, we're Christians, so we only read Christian stuff. So just from uh, UK, I was brought up in Edinburgh, so I read the crime series uh, by Ian Rankin, Rebus. And there's literally okay. I think, nearly 20 books on Rebus and it follows a policeman in Edinburgh and the crimes and the issues in his life. And again, just engaging with that in terms of my dad used to be a policeman and, and just engaging with kind of a story and the, the enjoyment of this could be real life and also could not be in, you know, just working. So you're not it. saying this, these books specifically, but I'm saying some, these are examples. But fiction yeah. that would engage with real life. Yeah. Okay. I, I understand what you're saying. Um, so you're not saying I'm not every saying, Christian ought to have a Scottish crime <laughs> novel on their bookshelf? You should. Well, uh, okay. But what I'm saying is, uh, but that was engaging to <laughs> me because that's where I'm from. Okay. So almost like a fictional series that, that you can really kind of get your oh, teeth into. Oh, I see Okay. And actually, because it can bring into a great aspect of evangelism as well, you, you know, um, yeah. later on. But so, yeah, I'm just going to say fiction, both Christian and non-Christian. And my examples are kind of like Narnia and Rebus. Yeah, I'm thinking like if if you're going to have fiction from a Christian worldview on your shelf, what are the classic things? Chronicles mm -hmm. of Narnia comes to the top of yep. the list. Pilgrim's Progress, which yep. is an enduring Christian classic, just classic novel in in general. I mean, constantly relevant. Just last week or two weeks ago from this recording on the Oscar telecast, this went viral. Hugh Grant's interview with, yes. uh, and he mentioned, he made a reference to Pilgrim's Progress. Yeah. The reporter didn't get, you know, and other people I don't think got either. He mentioned the Vanity Fair, you know, they were thinking, oh, the Vanity Fair after party. And he was just like, he was so disgusted. <laughs> it was a very British moment, it felt like. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I mean, ever relevant, Christian classic, maybe uh, Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, yeah. Chesterton's Father Brown stories, some, you know, Christian classics along those regards. That's good. First category I have, like, if you've got the family bookshelf, what should be on that family bookshelf in, in uh, for the Christian home? I like a good study Bible. <laughs> No? What are you shaking your head? Because I went fiction, have a nice story time, <laughs> and you went, get into the Word of God. You yeah, get into it. the Word of God. So well, mine so would be it, number one, too. Yeah, now you carry on. <laughs> it used to be there was the family Bible. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I think that's fine. And, you know, we had a family Bible. My kids never looked in that family Bible. It was just, it was given to us. It was actually given to my wife and I when we got married. Mm -hmm. And we just kept it. And it's this big, gigantic yeah. thing. It's not conducive really to reading. It's yeah. not... If you want a reference that your family can look up, just cursory notes on mm -hmm. things, having one or two, and I know most people listening to this probably have like eight, nine yeah. study Bibles in their home, but I just think deciding on here's a study Bible we're going to have access that our kids can have access to. And I've listed some examples. My favorite still is the ESV Gospel Transformation Bible, mainly because those study notes really help you see the gospel in yeah. every passage of Scripture. But there's so many good study Bibles out there. In your favorite translation, there would be a wealth of study Bibles. Yeah. We have an embarrassment of riches when it comes to these things. But having a good sort of central 
study Bible or two available, I think is yep. really good. And I think even if it's uh, just on that note, a good family Bible in the sense of one that you would use at the dinner table. So yeah. so uh, my kids and uh, wife and I, when we do devotions, there's certain Bibles we pull out and it just like, that's that's what we're using. That's, that's ours to use in that sense. Okay, so my next category taking, now I've went from, you know, fiction and you went straight to Bible. <laughs> Let me take a deep dive to kind of systematic theology. Yep. Not just seeing this from a, we're on a, a theological campus here. I just think it's a good thing to have on your shelf and um, covering key doctrines of scripture, uh, something that you can go to reference. Somebody says, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about different character elements of God, then you can go to this book and you can open up and get some good thoughts on it. Ideally, you would have more than one and ideally maybe uh, a bit of a cross-section on views. But if you were going to go for one that's just a kind of staple, one that I've used a lot, I've actually done it in men's Bible studies, uh, referenced it a lot myself as Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, the big, big blue book. Yep. Uh, he's separated it into smaller ones, but the big blue one, uh, just a kind of a good reference point. So somebody says, you know, wanting to know a little bit more about God's power, or they're talking about God being uh, all places. I got this question at work. I don't know how to respond to it. You can pull that book. You can immediately look at, look at the contents, uh, look at the back, you know, pull out some immediate resources. Uh, just really good. I'm kind of one of those strange people. I'm quite content to read a systematic theology book just, just for the sake of reading it. Right. Often a page or two at a time, and that's about it. Um, but just, I think it's good reference point to have on your shelf and not to be scared of doctrines to actually go, okay, it's it's not as, some are complicated, but it's not as complicated as we make it out to be. If you want to know more of God, know more of scripture, know more of the eternal realm, good systematic theology will do that. Yeah, and what's great about that as well is you have kids in the house who, especially as they get older, but they will have a question about, well, gosh, how is it possible that God created Adam and Eve and then sin came into the world and well, gosh, there's actually a reference book. You can go, yeah. here's a scholar who's written on it, yeah. you know, and even if you don't agree specifically with their perspective on that, they're giving you the biblical references. Or, yeah. And it's just organized in such a way you can find these topics. That's yeah. what's great about, you know, a systematic theology in, in, in particular. Even books that approach sort of topical theology. One of my favorite books when I was a younger man was R.C. Sproul's Now That's a Good Question was yeah. what it was called. I assume it's still in print. Now That's a Good Question. And it was basically transcripts from his like radio show mm -hmm. calling questions. And it was organized by topic, yep. you know, and it was just people who ask him these all sorts of, will pets be in heaven? Will, yeah. you know, all these sorts of things. And R.C. Sproul's answers to those questions. So again, you know, this would, you know, depending on, you know, allowing kids have access means that you trust this resource and maybe you don't agree 100% with yeah. everything that they would say, but this is a reliable voice yeah. answering questions your kids would have, maybe that you would have, like, well, what does yeah. Sproul say about this? I know that Tony Reinke is working on an Ask Pastor John, uh, based on the Ask Pastor John program with John Piper a compilation, so a book that would cover a lot of the questions mm -hmm. that John Piper has been asked. The Systematic Theology is just a great resource to have. Uh, Grudem would not be at the top of my list. I was about to say, I, I, I did have <laughs> but, a thought on Grudem. What I'm talking about is uh, the ease of his book. Yeah, it's his really is easy the most accessible, use. I will admit that. Now, yes. I have reservations on several of his, <laughs> of his things he writes, but just from an ease of being able to pick up a book and easily go, okay, this subject, yeah. let's get some thoughts on it. We should mention at this point, so I'll, I'll say my favorite has been Lewis Burkhoff, still sort of my go-to, but he's not a Baptist guy, yeah. so there's you know there's you know, certain things, polity-wise and baptism, those sorts of things. I put on Twitter actually this week, I was like, what's the best one-volume Baptist systematic theology? 
And again, I don't know if it's a reading comprehension problem or what it is, but like 80% of the responses, not a Baptist, yeah. not one volume, yeah. not a systematic. I mean, I don't know. People are just like, you know, Charles Hodge is like, well, he's not Baptist. You know, all these sorts of questions. But one thing that we kept getting in response is a good plug here for our colleague, Dr. Matthew Barrett yes. of Midwestern Seminary is working on a systematic theology. Yeah. So maybe that will be the go-to Baptist systematic to come. Uh, I had that on my list as well. Good study Bible, good systematic theology. My next one is kind of to go along with your Bible study, a good one-volume Bible commentary. Yes. You know, pastors, ministry leaders, others may have commentary sets and wide array of commentaries. I think it's good for every Christian family, every Christian home to have one or two good one-volume Bible commentaries. So you want to be able to have just the next step, deeper insight from a study Bible Mm -hmm. on passages of Scripture. I've listed a few classics here. Matthew Henry's commentary on the whole Bible. I know there's lots of critics of that, but to me, this is the Coke classic of of one-volume commentaries. It's readily available. You can see it. You can find it for free online. But there's just cheap, big, hardback volumes available that you can get. The Baker commentary on the Bible is good. New Bible commentary. Um, thoughts on that, the one volume? The, I, I like Don Carson. Um, no, that's right. So, yeah. so I go to Don Carson quite a lot. Um, just on a kind of flip side, so I think a one uh, volume commentary is great. Don Carson's, I love his. I also think a kind of devotional one volume commentary is okay. good as well. I'm trying to think the guy who writes it. I think it's called Word of the Day or Words for the Day. And it's basically, it's a devotional walkthrough of every verse of scripture. It's not the deepest, there is theological issues within it, but it, it's that just taking a different angle. So less theological, academic, more devotional, but just something that takes you through the whole of scripture and gives you some extra thoughts, some some insight and some encouragements. But yeah, Don Carson would be my favorite for that. Yeah. What's next on your list? Uh, next is Biography. Oh, okay. Um, so I'm, I've got to be, be honest, I'm not a massive fan of biography. Okay. But my wife is. And so she tends to read a lot more. Also, we've been introducing biographies to our children as well. And just to make a note on that, biographies to children don't have to be children's books. Okay. They actually can just be biographies. So for instance, we, we moved from the UK to the States. Uh, we joined an SBC church. We didn't know a lot about Lottie Moon. And so we got a biography for Lottie Moon and we read it at the dinner table together as a family and just encouraging us to see how God uses people uh, from all over the world at all different times. One of my favorite recent biographies I've read was D.L. Moody's. I think it was his um, son-in-law or son that had written it and just a really good insight into his life. Um, It was a really interesting insight in terms of both negative and positive elements of his ministry. My wife recently read a, a biography on Spurgeon. I, I just think it's good to see how people uh, live their lives for Christ or how they may have not lived their lives for Christ. And I come back to that Christian biography and I would say also non-Christian biography as well hmm. of people of our time or even people in history that have marked. I, I know our own very Dr. Alan here at Loves at Winston Churchill. Um, so just reading about people's lives how they viewed God, how they worked for God, how they were anti-God, just beginning to see, yeah. you know, real life. So biographies, a key one. Uh, I know someone uh, that works at, at 10 of those, uh, one of the publishers, and they're very keen on biography. They encourage it all the time. I've been to many conferences and 10 of those are basically saying, here's the latest biography you should be reading. So definitely encourage that. Yeah, I'm a I'm a latecomer to biography and history in general. Growing up, I just wasn't real interested 
And it wasn't until sort of midway through pastoral ministry and in the last five, 10 years, ones that I've really, that I've really enjoyed. Thomas, another colleague of ours, Thomas Kidd's biography of George Whitfield was mm-hmm. really meaningful to me, really powerful to me. Timothy Mather Cooley's biography of Lemuel Haynes, uh, which is an older book, but still readily available through reprints, is great. Some other classic bios I wrote down in just some list of things that I think Christians might would want to have on their bookshelf. Corey Ten Boom's The Hiding Place. Yeah. Yeah. Jonathan Edwards' The Life of David Brainerd. Elizabeth Elliot's Through Gates of Splendor. Charles Coulson's Autobiography, Born Again. And then, of course, C.S. Lewis's Surprised by Joy. Uh, there's just so many good mm. bios out there that would be helpful to have. Next on my list is a good, I know I keep going to reference books here, and we'll get to some more specific title recommendations in a moment, but I have a good one volume book on church history. Mm-hmm. I think it'd be good for every family to have just handy, especially you know in this stage of modern evangelicalism, where for a lot of us, particularly in the Protestant world or in the Baptist world, church history begins with Billy Graham. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it begins with the Reformation. Yeah, it begins with Martin Luther, and then there's about 400 years of we don't know what, and then and then Billy Graham shows up, Uh, (laughs) and um, it may be good actually to just have a reference book. You know, it doesn't have to be a deep dive, but Mm. a one volume. Hey, what was going on in the church world in the first century? You know, in the third century, in the tenth century. I feel like people are always surprised as well, like pre-Reformation how the gospel went from Christ to Reformation, like that whole, just that whole section. <laughs> right, yes. you know, like the 50, patristic era. 1,500 so years is happening yeah. there. Well, and um, I think they also assume like the Roman, I mean, they're not yeah. aware of the schism, the yes. split. Um, so like they think, well, it was just Roman Catholic for thousands of yeah. years. And no, like, yeah. Oh, in Scotland, it's like we know John Knox uh, because his house is in Edinburgh. And, you know, he's uh, he's he's a key figure in our history. If you're part of the Brethren movement in the UK, you know, your your history is really a couple of hundred years old. Baptist movement, a couple of hundred years old, some splits and things. And it is, you kind of almost stay to your denomination. So I, I agree oh, with I that. I, I like the idea of getting out of your denominational kind of norm in, of history and, and seeing before that. Interestingly, I don't have one uh, okay. on my shelf. So, oh, you have to. You need to pick one up. We'll have to pick so, one I've up. got some recommendations. I don't know. Maybe I'm sure you've read them. Whether you have one on your shelf or not, uh, Bruce Shelley's book, Church History in Plain Language, I find maybe the most accessible mm-hmm. that I'm aware of. There may be others that I just don't know about. But it's been out for a while. It's it's one that it's not academic. Mm-hmm. It covers the breadth of church history, but in a way that's accessible to the average person. And I think it would be a good reference book to have on the shelf. You could open it up to the particular era that you want to know some information about. Justo Gonzalez's The Story of Christianity would be another good one to have around. Obviously, there are individual books on individual periods and people and those sorts yeah. of things. But having a good one volume is just a good reference book. So even if it's not something you read cover to cover, it's just something to have. Like, what was yeah. happening in the church in the 1300s? Yep. Well, now I can look it up this chapter and see, yeah. you know. Okay, so next on mine, it's a bit of a wide category, and I'll narrow it down with an example. But I'm just going to put the category of of counseling um, okay. or Christian living. And I know they kind of cross two categories, but I'll explain what I mean. The book When People Are Big and God Is Small by yeah. Ed Welch, which is talking about the the fear of man over the fear of God and, and where does God place in our everyday life in terms of how we view others and how we view life. Really, is it's addressing the issue 
of something in life, the, the, the fear of man. Now, there are so many books that address an issue. And I guess that's what I'm leaning into is what is going on in your life? So that's number one. Maybe you struggle with anger. You struggle with fear of man. You know, some good titles on actually pressing into that. But I would also argue books on things you don't struggle with so that you can see what others might be struggling oh, with. Um, so I'm kind of putting this into a, a very large category of kind of counseling, Christian living. Be careful on the Christian living side and also on the counseling side. There can be a lot of authors and a lot of things that are just kind of pseudo-Christian. So just kind of be careful of that. But just Ed Welch is, is the example of, you know, if you really struggle to 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 live your life in the fear of God and and not fear man more than God, then something like that would be good. I know that's a book that's recommended here for our biblical counseling classes as well. So just some, something along those lines. Yeah. What I've got left on my list is really a breakdown between sort of classic Christian works and modern classic works, more modern books that we'd consider Christian classics. So individual titles. Do you have any other categories that you wanted uh, to sort of cover? No, no more individual categories. No. Okay. Well, we can talk about individual titles. Mm-hmm. We, we started thinking about like what books should every Christian have <laughs> on their shelf? and I mean, there's millions of books out there, but there are some that have stood the test of time, books that have been recommended and been proven fruitful over decades, if not centuries. And I thought maybe we could just talk about a few of those. I, I think every family, you know, Christian bookshelf should have C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. I was about to say, that's going to be the first on the list, surely, <laughs> yeah. is Mere Christianity. And there's quibbles we can all have with or, aspects of Mere or Christianity. Or Pilgrim's Progress. Or Pilgrim's or Progress, or both, yeah. Uh, but mere Christianity is just, it is a modern classic yeah. of, of Christian lit, ought to be on the bookshelf, wrestled with, reread every five years or so. Yeah. Yeah, that's a classic in my mind. Yeah. I, what else you got? I, see, I'm struggling for the, if, if we hold firm to the every Christian should have. Yeah, um, let's do it. Every Christian should have it. Okay. If you uh, don't think that, then don't say modern, it. Modern, gentle, and lowly. Okay. Dan so, Orton's gentle yeah, and lowly. Yeah, we're, we're going to more modern. I think it's a, I mean, it's almost becoming a classic in terms of everyone's talking about it and yeah. doing, doing reading through it. I just think it, it it really helps us understand Jesus. And I think it really under, helps us understand the ministry of Christ in the gospel. So I would I would recommend Gentle Lily. I think our church has actually done a equipping group class, a Sunday school class on Gentle Lily. Okay. I think Joseph taught on it, uh, if, if memory serves me right. Excellent. But yeah, I, I would recommend that. And that's pretty modern. What's that, a couple of years old now? Yeah, that's only like three yeah, years old or yeah. so. so yeah, go. that's good. Um, how about J.I. Packer's Knowing God? Yeah, I thought that would come up. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's one of those. Is it accessible to every Christian, though? I'm not, not being, I, I recommend it. I'm more meaning, yeah. can every Christian feel like they can get something from that? I would hope so. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why it sold millions of copies and yeah. has been around for forever and ever. I mean, to some extent, mere Christianity has some technical, yeah. you know, language in it. And, you know, some of it is just the, I don't know what you would call it, the, the burden of antiquated language mm. that we don't write or speak like this anymore. But I still think it's worth wrestling with. And what Packer's done in Knowing God is just, I mean, really just laid out sort of the classic version of a theology mm-hmm. of God. I mean, to, the doctrine of God is really yeah. what it, and, and, and what it means to, you know, to lay the groundwork for a relationship with mm-hmm. this God. And there's a reason why this book has really endured for so long. 
a little more recently than that, still probably several decades old, R.C. Sproul's The Holiness of God, mm-hmm. which for a lot of men in particular, a lot of folks my generation, it hits the top of the list when you yeah. ask, like, what's the most influential book on your life? What's the book that's impacted you the most? In the top five, invariably, is Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul and Desiring God by John Piper. Yeah. I find Desiring God a little dense yep, to get through, to be honest um, with you. The Gagging of God, I would also— Oh, by D.A. Carson. Yeah, yeah, I would also put that in there. So just uh, just another aspect, and uh, this is a kind of new one to me. So this is not something I would have had historically on my bookshelf, but something I've been introduced more since coming to Midwestern is ethics, Christian ethics. So oh, okay. So having, I, I mean, I've touched on it a little bit historically. So when uh, is God anti-gay? Sam Albury wrote that book. Uh, transgenderism. Uh, Von Roberts wrote that book. But just as a wide uh, range. Uh, you've got the Heimbachs that wrote Fundamental Christian Ethics. Uh, you've got Ethics for a Brave New World. And then even our own very doctor branch here at Midwestern has 50 ethical questions. And he asks the question and gives a response. And I guess I've, I've listed a few there, but what I'm really saying is look at some Christian ethics and maybe the issues of the time. I think a lot of people will hear like Von Roberts wrote a great little book on transgenderism, a fantastic little book. And one of the things he makes the point of is Ultimately, Christians are often bigoted on the issue. They, they just think wrong or right, but they don't actually know what's going on in somebody's life and, and why they're going yeah. to that. Never condones or, or slams it down. He kind of just says, this is what's happening. Uh, Sam Albury's books on uh, is God Anti-Gay, very, very good and kind of just a, a very tiny little book. You could read it in an hour. But I think just a- approaching Christian ethics without the, I have my view. Actually, just let's see what's out there. Who's writing on what? Um, and for me, the... Ethics of Brave New World, kind of older book, not that old, but, you know, 20-ish years old. And the recent one, the Heimbach Fundamental Christian Ethics, my wife is using that right now. And it takes a deep dive into some issues. I would say, apart from Von Roberts and Sam Albury, all of these are leaning more to an American Christian ethics. Uh, Von Roberts, as I say, is a kind of uh, leading writer that I would say is good for Christian ethics in the UK. Yeah, what about in the world of apologetics? Mere Christianity kind of gets at that a little yeah. bit, but I think more modern. Tim Keller's Reason for God yeah. uh, is so great. There are some enduring, you know, McDowell's evidence that demands a verdict, several volumes of that that have remained in print for several decades now. You know, books like that that might help, you know, your family or friends that you have that are exploring Christianity and you just— going to pull something off your shelf? What do you want to have available? Or you're in conversations evangelistically with folks, and gosh, I really need to shore up my own ability to hang in these conversations. A book like Keller's Reason for God can help in that regard. There's other books like that. I think having even just a short little list of apologetics resources could be helpful to have, even if you're not just as a resource, oh, I don't, you know, I can go right home and pull off the shelf. Yeah. I know I can, you know, find something that will help me in this regard. I have just two more. Uh, okay. One is a series and it's the Nine Mark series. You know, the kind of Nine Marks. Uh, the Building Healthy Churches The Building series. Healthy yeah. Churches series. So lots of people will be like, oh, I like Nine Marks. I've got them. Or I'm not keen on Nine Marks. I don't want to read them. Personally, I find them great little books to read and then pass on to other people. Yeah. So just even recently, there was an individual that uh, came to our house and we're talking about church membership. I pulled the church membership from the nine marks and said, give that a read. Lehman does a good job of kind of giving the the bare bones, the foundations of church membership. 
So I think it's accessible to lots of people. You'll read them in a few hours. You know, it's not it's not going to take a ton of time to read, but just a really good kind of foundational look. So I would recommend the Nine Marks series. I, I also really like the way they're packaged, like the hard back. Yeah, they're small. They're they small, easily, they're compact. Yeah, they can easily fit in a bag or whatever when you travel. And then there was one more, which actually was recommended to me uh, during COVID and it was incomparable. And I can't remember the author's name. I've been trying to remember the okay. author's name, incomparable. And it's just talking about who is God, little book. And it's mm. overwhelming in terms of your look at who God is. And I can't remember the author's name. So just look up incomparable. Okay. <laughs> Some uh, final titles from me here, just in terms of these are some Christian classics, classic works that have stood the test of time that I think, yeah, most Christian families, would I say every, maybe not, but most Christian families, Christians should have on their bookshelf because they're just, they've really established themselves as classics. St. Augustine's Confessions, it's classic work. Somebody once said, I remember reading this recently, that Augustine was the first person to use the word I in the theological text or making theological text devotional. I don't know if that's true, but it struck me. I've read the Confessions numerous times, different translations, and what always strikes me is just how much like the Psalms they read. I mean, there is some very technical theological stuff in there for sure, especially as it progresses, Um, but lots of autobiographical stuff as well. And it just feels, it feels like it sounds, it's confessional. Mm -hmm. It, it feels very devotional. So, yeah, Augustine's Confessions, G.K. Chesterton's Orthodoxy, which is one of the original sort of apologetic kind of uh, forerunner of Lewis. Keller and others are in debt to Chesterton, basically just making the case for the soundness of mm-hmm. Christian doctrine and the wonder of doctrine itself against, you know, the idea of the subjectivity of truth and relativity of truth, those sorts of things. Yeah, Chesterton's Orthodoxy is a now classic book. Into the World of Fiction, I forgot to mention this when you brought up fiction, but uh, this is actually poetry, but the works of Milton, if you want to have some classic Christian poetry around Paradise Lost, very influential actually on even how we view the fall and different things like that. I have a pastor friend who once said, most Christians' view of what happens in Genesis 3 actually is more indebted to Paradise Lost than it is to the Bible (laughs) itself. Our conceptions, our visions of that, especially illustrative are drawn more from Milton. So influential in ways that most evangelicals don't even realize. Yeah. Uh, but still, a classic work, if you want to have a Christian classic on your bookshelf. Spurgeon's Treasury of David, which essentially is a kind of quote-by-quote commentary on the Psalms, where Spurgeon has just compiled mm. a variety of different quotes from different people on the different Psalms. So you can kind of work through great for illustrative and devotional purposes Spurgeon's Lectures to My Students, if you're in the pastoral ministry or ministry leader. Classic work. Tozer's Knowledge of the Holy. John Owen's A Mortification of Sin. A couple of books by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Cost of Discipleship and Life Together. The works of Francis Schaeffer Mm. would be great to have on a bookshelf. Gosh. I've got, I've got Go a on and on. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure things are coming to your mind now. Uh, number one, Incomparable was written by Andrew Wilson. Okay. Um, so Incomparable yeah. by Andrew Wilson. And to mention a Wilson yeah. is to jump quite quickly to Jared C. Wilson <laughs> okay. and the many books that he has written. He has given me a, a small cash donation under the table for me to say this. It's <laughs> uh, not true, but okay. Well, how do they know? Uh, <laughs> but uh, can I just recommend two of Jared's books? And, and actually, genuinely, he didn't ask me to do this. Uh, number one, Prodigal Church, 
fantastic book, really encouraged me in terms of just how how we view, uh, I think this comes back to a podcast we did earlier with the Jesus Revolution. How do we view our church? How do we view people? How do we prepare for people? I think that's a great book. And then if you're in ministry, and I've got to get this right because I got this wrong recently, uh, <laughs> Gospel Driven Ministry. That's right. Fantastic book. Gives a great overview of pastoral ministry as a, as a general, kind of touches on lots of different things. And then from that, the last, last book I'm going to recommend, which is odd because I didn't 100% recommend it on Sunday night. <laughs> uh, Christian Ministry by Bridges. Okay, um, so Bridges. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was a great read, heavy read. So if you're somebody that wants to go, I want to take a deep dive into pastoral ministry, do uh, Jared's book and Bridges' book, and, and that should cover all your bases. Well, excellent. I mean... I haven't written a book yet. Uh, when I do, no, Jared man, can recommend you're working me. on it. I'm working on one. I'm working on one. I'll, I'll finish with two recommendations here as well, and then we'll be done. Billy Graham's How to Be Born Again. Yeah, that was really work good. Of just what does it mean to follow Jesus, to, re- to turn from sin and, and accept Christ. And The Cross of Christ by John Stott yeah. is a fantastic classic work. You could put that up there with Knowing God by J.I. Packer. It kind of falls into the same so many category. Picks. I know there's so, so many. many. We've had to narrow it down. But if you enjoy the podcast, dear listener, give us a good review, please, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.